great to, to worship with you. I'm, I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, and, and um, lots of different things that going on, happening around the life of our church. I invite you to continue to plug into that. If you are new, uh, welcome, maybe for the first time. I met a couple of you tonight. I know it takes courage coming to a new place, so glad that you're here. And if uh, you've been here like a hundred plus times, hey, welcome back. Um, We are in the book of Colossians, so if you have a Bible, you're welcome to go to the book of Colossians, or you can pull out your smartphone. If you go to the YouVersion Bible app, you can click on events, type in Element City Church, and we have kind of the live broadcast of notes and things going there. But as you're turning there, what I want you to think about is something that maybe goes back to your childhood. Maybe it's something that you do now. Uh, Maybe as a family, you have a family game night. Maybe as a kid, you remember playing some certain games. I'm thinking board games, card games. And here's what I want you to do. You're going to turn to your neighborhood, the two, three people right around you, and uh, you're going to tell them your favorite childhood game or your favorite game now that you enjoy playing. It could be a card game, could be a board game, whatever that is. You got about 32 seconds. You ready? On your mark, set, go. Turn to people right around you or think to yourself, if no one's sitting around you, you and Jesus have a conversation. It's okay. He's listening. Favorite board game, Roberta, favorite board game. What, checkers? Okay, that's classic, classic. Chess, anyone know chess? Okay. Maybe a card game that you, you knew. All right, 10 seconds. Five. Three, two, one, okay. So how many of you is a card game? that you enjoy, okay. Uh, Just yell what it is, we all know. Perfect, we all got that, okay. Uh, Board game, those of you who are board game, okay, just yell that. Okay, perfect, Uh, I heard a blah, blah, and that's a great game. Um, I I love playing games with our kids, and we played a lot, but this is one that uh, was really fascinating for me, because as a dad, uh, who is a, a sports buff and a sports fan and, and a, a giant uh, U of A fan, bear down, no, win or lose, doesn't matter. Uh, and here's the deal. So we bought these, I don't know, you ever played the game Memory? Okay. So Memory, yes, yeah, that's, did you hear that? That's exactly the thought you have when someone says, let's play, me- oh, okay. Um, so this one is like all the mascots of, this is like pre-Pac-12. This is the Pac-10. Whoa. You're old, Jack. Okay, so, um, so we had this, and we, we the mascots, and so early on, I would train my kids, okay? So like the Sun Devils, we don't even say that word here, okay? We're just, we're not that family, okay? Um, Jesus may, well, I don't know, uh, but <coughs> we, we love Wildcats here. So and then like the, later on, it was the Ducks, and we just, we hate Ducks, and so it's just, you know, and then Bears, who hates, I mean, just everyone hates Bears, especially today, uh, but like, just, we don't like, so we have this conversation, and, and then the deal is, with the game, there are a lot of card games and a lot of board games where you as a parent, you can be present, but not there, right? As a parent, listen, for those of you who don't have kids yet, you need to find out the games where you can be there, but not there, okay? Because sometimes being there fully all the time is really difficult, okay? So you'll catch on, you'll understand what I mean. But some games are like that, like Uno, you can play that, okay? 
and you can check your phone. It, I mean, you could, now look, don't be that parent who's always doing that because that's weird and, and like just wrong, so don't. But um, you can be kind of doing other things, right? But some games take a lot of concentration, like uh, memory, right? takes a lot of concentration because here's what happens when my kids play. They don't put the piece back in the same spot. <sighs> and occasionally they'll like take, take, you know, take a look over there and then they'll kind of mix them all up again. Just, and they know and it's, just, it's, it's brutal, it's rough, okay? So like in memory you have to really focus and you have to concentrate, okay? Now going into what we're gonna look at tonight, I want you to keep that in mind because where Paul's going tonight is this idea of, of trying to challenge you and challenge me to say, hey, it does matter your concentration, it does matter your focus, it does matter your attention to things in this life. And, and you don't wanna be a person who's just kinda cruising along because the reality is you're being molded some way, even if you're drifting, there's other voices and other impact trying to get your attention, trying to gain your devotion. And you need to be a person that sets your mind in certain ways. So we're finally making it to chapter three. Last week we looked at chapter two and here's what, to kinda catch you up, here's what you gotta know about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is a great pastor and a great teacher and what he's wanting this church in Colossae to know, to these folks to understand, is doctrinal stuff. So like theology. So really in Paul's letters, most of his letters, the first couple chapters or so, uh, except for Romans, it's a lot more, but in most of the small letters, he's kind of laying out some theology, some doctrinal statements of here's what the gospel is, here's what being a follower of Jesus is, here's the, the spiritual end and, and, and the whole thing behind it, here's, here's what you need to know, and then the last part of those letters are kind of like, okay, now that you know that, here's how you now live. And so, in essence, that's what Paul's saying here to the church in Colossae in the letter to the Colossians. And so, in this letter, he's gone through a couple different chapters, kind of refuting some false teachings. So, just real quick recap. So, you have the, the Judaizers who are out there who are trying to teach these early followers of Jesus to be like, okay, you can have Jesus, that's all right, but you also need to practice all the Jewish laws and all the Old Testament. You need to do both. And Paul's saying, <laughs> No, uh, you just need Jesus. He's all you need, right? And they have these early Gnostic teachers who are out there trying to say, okay, well, Jesus is nice, but he's not really God because matter is evil and there's other things and you've got to pursue all these rituals and all these legalistic things and these pursuits and these traditions in order to get to another spiritual level and Paul is just saying, okay, that's not true either. You have Jesus, he's all you need. Just keep focusing on him. And he's laying out, remember we said, Jesus is the greatest champion ever because he's over all, he's in all, he is all. And so Paul is counteracting this. And then in chapter three, he gets to four verses we're gonna look at tonight. Unpack a little bit of it and maybe put some handles on some things and what does it mean to us. So in chapter three, here's where we begin to go. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Chapter three. Here we go. Verse one, here's what he says. Since then, remember all of chapter two was, listen, you don't need to have all these rituals and traditions, all this legalistic thought to try to go after and get to another spiritual level. You have Jesus, he's all you need. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. We'll come back to that. That's an important phrase. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, he is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's a, 
a very famous phrase Paul uses often in his writings, you're hidden in Christ. In fact, the, the phrase in Christ is a, a very Pauline teaching, a very, something that's really trying to drive the early church. He's trying to say, look, you've been given everything you need in Christ and you are now in Christ as a follower person who's put their faith in him. You are hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So since then, you've been raised with Christ. You set your hearts, set your minds on things. These first four verses of chapter three kind of mark the end of the primary uh, kind of doctrinal teaching section of the the letter to Colossians. He's laying out, okay, here's this Christian teaching, here's this theology about who God is and about life with God and what that means, and now here he's gonna start turning the corner to say, here's how you begin to apply all this theology to your life that you would live a life with Christ. Listen, remember when we said the very first week? And so much of what was going on in the first century back then was this idea of syncretism. This idea of, well, I like the teachings of Jesus, and I like a little bit of when I read about Jesus, so I'm gonna take a little bit of that, and I'm gonna mix it with, well, Buddha seems nice, and so I'm gonna take a little bit of that, and Hinduism seems nice, and I'm gonna take a little bit of that, and this kind of new age theology over here, that takes, so the syncretism is this idea of I'm gonna build my own faith foundation. I'm gonna build my own theology and live by it, and Paul's deeply pushing back against that saying, look, you can do that, that's fine, that's your prerogative, but that's not why Jesus came. And if you treat Jesus like that, well then you're just treating him like he's a nice guy. And he's so much more than that. Now, maybe you're here, and you're kinda pursuing faith, maybe you're investigating Jesus a little bit, maybe someone invited you, promised you pizza afterwards or something, and you're here and you're thinking, okay, I want to just know a little bit more about him. Well. I think Paul would look at you and we would look at you and say, that's awesome. I think it's great that you're owning your faith and and we wanna invite you to keep investigating who Jesus is. But Paul's really laying out this theology that says, look, Jesus really is the the foundation of our, our faith, everything. In fact, if you have him, you have everything. And if you don't have him, well, you've got nothing. You've got wishful thinking and you've got nice sounding you know, sound bites and, and nice little sayings, but that's all they are because they don't have a saving faith within them themselves. It's really found not in a philosophy, but in the person of Jesus. We don't mix Christ with another foundation. He is the foundation. And we have died with Christ. As a person who's come to a place in your life, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but if you get to that place where you say, Jesus, I need you to be my rescuer. I need you to be my redeemer, the one who makes me right with God. Not because, because I think really well or because I've done a nice, you know, enough nice things, but because I've put my faith in you. I've, I'm putting my trust in you. Paul then says, look, as you do that, what's happening in the spiritual realm is that you have now found life with God through faith in Christ. You are now hidden in Christ. That's a word he would use, a phrase he would use. You've you've died with Christ, that when Christ died, you actually kind of died with him, and when he rose again, you're actually raising up with him because you're hidden in him. It's not based on your effort, and I know that may seem a little confusing if you're kind of new to faith. Maybe that's like, well, I'm 
I'm here. Uh, so yeah, okay, you're not you're physically dead, okay? Uh, but this idea that you died with Christ and you're raised with him, that's what it means to be hidden in Christ. Everything that he did is now kind of righteousness for you. It's not based on your merit or your effort that we've died with him, we've lived with him. And then Paul's saying, you, now that you've had that experience, now that you're hidden in Christ, here's what you need to do. Set your mind, set your hearts on things that are above and not on this earthly stuff. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. You have a resurrected position in Christ and you need to live from that position, live from that vantage point. Now, that's really challenging in our world. That's challenging in your world, in mine. Because we're the ones that go through life and things happen and we feel maybe defeated. And it's, it's easy to feel defeated at times. It's easy to feel like I don't have everything going for me or I have these struggles or I have these challenges and I can't quite get over them. And I don't feel like I'm living this resurrected life, this victorious kind of life. But what Paul is saying is, look, it's not based on a feeling thing. This isn't, okay, it's a Monday and you feel blah and it's a Friday and you feel woohoo. okay? This is about recognizing who you are in Christ, that Paul's wanting you to draw your attention. This is no longer saying, look, I don't have to make the investment on the worldly agenda that goes on around you and swirls around you and swirls around me that says this is how you need to live life. Because here's what you know. You live on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday basis, and in our culture, and in our country, and in our world, and our society, there's voices that kind of push against you the same they pushed against me and say this is how you have life. This is how you find real life or real happiness or real satisfaction or real joy. This is what you need. You have an old car. You know what you need. You need a new car because that will make you happy, right? I don't know if anyone's ever heard this before. Uh, you have old clothes. You know what you really need to feel better? You need, oh, you're catching on. You guys have heard this too. Okay, so like there's this message that goes on in our world. That's the backdrop of the world we all live in and traverse in. That there's these messages that keep coming out that says this is how you find life. It's not that those things are wrong, but they're not the controller or the holder of hope, are they? They're nice things and you can have nice things, but they're not the ones who hold out hope, and that once you find them, you're forever changed. That's why when you buy new clothes, guess what, a year later, you're gonna want more new clothes, right? When you get a new car, guess what happens a couple years down the line? Take a wild guess. You might want a new car. Like, there's interesting things that happen in our culture, right? Because this message always says you've got to, it's like when someone comes out with like the iPhone 15, okay? And then a year later, there's the iPhone 21, because it seems like there's five a year. Um, just, you're always gonna want the new thing. Now, is it wrong to have a new thing? No. But are they the holder of ultimate hope? 
No. There's not an app for that. There's a person for that. And that's where you have to look. That's where you have to find. And Paul is trying to say, look, you need to set your mind on things above. You have been raised with Christ. A heavenly mindset kind of involves focusing on having a resurrected position in Christ. That it's not just me and how I live life. As a follower of Jesus, I've been given everything I need. And I am now hidden in Christ. In fact, Paul gets at this another time in a, the letter to Ephesians. Here's what he says. In Ephesians chapter two, verse six, he says, and God raised you up with Christ and seated us, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. God raised us up with him and seated us there, meaning our eternal perspective now is not no longer a worldly perspective. It's a heavenly perspective. It's where we are to live and have our focus and have our perception come from, to have our perspective, our vantage point from, is from heaven. And here's what I know to be true. The enemy loves, I think, to keep our mindset down here in an earthly realm. Okay, you gotta always have new. Well, you don't have enough going for you, so you should feel defeated because you are defeated. Okay, well, how can anyone love you because of your past? How can anyone ever forgive you because of how much you've done? How can anyone ever accept you for who you are because of how you've treated people in the past or the mistakes you've made? The enemy would love to keep you in this realm. And what Jesus has said is, look, as you trusted in me, I've taken you to a whole nother level. It's not a level you could get to. You just kind of rode shotgun with him on the way up there. It was his elevator. You hitched a ride. That's the truth throughout the scriptures, is that God raised Christ up, seated him in the heavenly realms, and you as a person who is hidden in Christ, as a follower of him, not because you're good, not because you've done enough good things, simply because you've said, I'm tired of living life on my own, I'm gonna hitch my wagon to Jesus, and he's who I need. When you did that, here's what you got. You got raised up to, to heavenly, this heavenly realm, and it forever can change your perspective. See, the enemy loves to keep us in this realm, always living from worldly perspective, because here's what he knows to be true. What captures your attention will capture your heart. What captures your attention will capture your heart. And so if he can keep us distracted by all the things around us and all the things and pursuits that promise something but never really deliver, that, that hold out a false hope or a faulty hope that we can pursue and try to go after, then we can miss what we really already have in Christ. We can live in a, a sense of defeat, in a sense of deflatedness, versus one who is living from a victorious standpoint, who says, hey, I, I've already been raised with Christ. So to have a heavenly mindset, you, you need to say, hey, I'm gonna be a person who lives with a resurrected position, because that's what I already have. And so Jesus, would you help me to see the world as you see? Would you help me to understand the power that I already have? Not because I'm super and I'm, I'm smart and I try to, to kind of use willpower. No, no. This is about what Christ is doing in me. 
This is what Paul writes in Ephesians elsewhere, chapter one, he says, look, I want you to know this uncomparable great power that you have for those who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, over all power and dominion, every title that can ever be given, not only in this present age, but in the one to come, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. That's who you're riding shotgun with. That's who we sit with. When Jesus sat down in the heavenly realms, you know what we're doing? We're seated right next to him. We're not trying to earn anything. He's already got it all. Now, everything in this world doesn't necessarily yet submit to Christ, but that day is coming when everything in all the world, in all the universe, will submit to Christ. He will have ultimate authority, and what he's saying is you have been given this authority and this power because you're seated with him. You ride shotgun with him, and wherever he goes, you get to go. Wherever he transverses, we get to go. We get to be there right with him. Since you've been raised with Christ, then let your mind and let your heart go there. Don't let your mind and heart just be stuck in this realm because it doesn't hold out what you, what you desperately want, what you desperately need, and what you ultimately seek. It's short-lived, it has a shelf life to it, and it will fade. So you set your mind, you set your hearts on things above. Maybe a heavenly mindset is also this. Developing a heavenly mindset, like Paul is kind of alluding to here, takes great intentionality. It's not something that just happens. It's not something that's just inferred to you. You actually have to work at this a little bit. You have to kind of make it a, a, a pledge of your heart. This word set in Greek is this idea of, of actively choosing this, actively seeking this. This won't just come to you. You actually have to train yourself to begin to think this way. To, that's why he writes elsewhere in Romans chapter 12. He says, look, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is about changing your mindset and living from a, a heavenly perspective, living from that realm, one who is seated in Christ, that you can live victorious. That doesn't mean you don't have struggles, that doesn't mean you don't have setbacks, but it does mean you can get back up and you don't have to stay down and you can keep moving forward. So many people in this world, they get knocked down and they want to stay down and they think they're not worthy to get back up, okay? Whether you are or whether you're not, God says you are and he's met you where you're at and he's the one empowering you so you can get up and keep walking forward. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. This idea of conforming means, what that would intuitively mean is that you already are being molded. How many of you would honestly say that the voices of the culture around us is trying to mold us a certain way? Would you acknowledge the truth and reality of that, right? So if that's happening, what Paul is saying is, look, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Meaning, it's not if you're gonna be conformed, you already are being conformed to the pattern of this world. Why? Because you live here. It's part of it. 
So if you don't want to be conformed and you want to be transformed, that's going to take intentionality. It's going to take this pursuit on your part to cooperate with God. That you stop being molded to begin to think that I need to have this kind of body or I've got to dress this way or I must have this degree or this type of job or to have these kind of things as I acquire. That I mean to have these kind of friends or I need to demonstrate these kind of habits or this kind of behavior in order to be accepted. That's what the world wants to conform you to. But God is saying, look, I wanna transform you and mold you to something different, something better. Who you were originally intended to be as you follow after Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. And how you do that is you begin to develop this heavenly mindset. And that's gonna mean, I need to remember, I'm a resurrected person. I live in Christ, I'm hidden in Christ. And I wanna be intentional about trying to let God transform me to be like that more and more, instead of the way the world is trying to mold me and conform me around. Christ said, you cannot serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now he's talking about money. But the reality is there is a competition for your attention. There is a competition for your devotion. It's the world is trying to conform you and the world could just be the, the voices of all, everything around that's not from God. And they're trying to compete for your attention and your devotion. And then there's this heavenly realm where Jesus is saying, look, I, I want you to be transformed. I want you to set your mind on things above. I want you to set your hearts on things above, not just the things in front of you. There's a competition. And who are you gonna listen to? That's what Paul is kind of setting up. You can play the game, but if you just play the game and don't really pay attention, you're gonna end up getting played. Or you can play the game with concentration and with attention and actually in cooperation with the Spirit, begin to taste and see and live the life God has for you. Doesn't mean there won't be setbacks, there will be but it means you can get back up and keep moving forward. How do you develop this heavenly mindset? I just wrote down four simple things that I wanna encourage you to do. This isn't about you trying to do them in order to get God to love you. Listen, God loves you, he cannot love you anymore. This is about cooperating to develop a heavenly mindset. How do you set your heart and mind on things above? Well, you kinda align your life in a few ways. One of those is you have the scriptures imprinted upon you. You spend time in the Bible. Now, maybe for some of you, you've never thought about like reading the Bible outside of church. Like, okay, that preacher dude, he reads a few verses. That's nice, it's good enough for me. Well, that's okay. You can do that for a while. But if you want to be a person who's having your life transformed and to begin to live and set your mind and your hearts on things above, well, then you've gotta fill your heart and mind with things from above. There's no shortcuts to this. And so we remember we started in January reading through the New Testament all together. We are in Mark chapter seven, I believe, today or tomorrow. Uh, and so if you have not been a part of that journey, I wanna personally invite you. Uh, I've been, I'm on Twitter and I've been trying to tweet through the New Testament this whole year, that's my goal. Um, and so every day or every other day, uh, I'm just asking God to kind of show me one truth, one nugget, and I'm gonna tweet it out and the hashtag is uh, NT in a year. So New Testament in a year, okay? And if you wanna follow along, you can do that. If you wanna add to it, add to it, okay? But fill your mind 
and set your mind and your hearts on things above by letting the word, God's word, his scriptures, penetrate your heart, by developing a consistent prayer life. Listen, this is not a perfect prayer life. Can I get an amen? Okay, this isn't about being perfect in prayer because there ain't nobody here who's perfect in prayer, including this guy. So this is about being consistent. Why? Because prayer is conversation. It's developing a relationship. If I never spoke with you and you never spoke with me, we wouldn't have much of a relationship, would we? We'd have a lot of knowledge about each other, maybe, but knowledge of, it would be different. That's what prayer is. The simplest way I can say it is just saying, God, I wanna know you better, not just know about you. And so that's what prayer is. Prayer is bringing your request to God, asking God, hey God, what do you think about this week? What do you think about this situation in life? I think this, and it stinks. I think this, and this is awesome, but what are your thoughts about it? And as you spend time reading his word, spend time praying, he might show you a few things. This is about having healthy biblical connections. This is about joining onto an E-team, or into an E-group, or living life with other believers, going out to dinner afterwards. This is about making church a priority, about being a person who comes on a consistent basis. This is about saying that people, the relationships with people matter, and they actually have influence in my life, and you can have influence on others. And so I wanna make this healthy biblical connection a reality of my life and how I live Life. This is about serving others, not as a, as a project, but as a lifestyle. That's how you begin to develop and set your mind and set your hearts on things above as you just say, it's not about me. <laughs> do you think your world, our society, would ever tell you that? No, what do they tell you all the time? It's all about you. It's all about your preferences. It's all about what you want, when you want it. Well, that will breed a very selfish kind of life, a very hollow life. You can have it, but you'll wake up 20 years from now and be incredibly sad. And I don't want that for you. What I want for you is to know what the Bible speaks of. It is better to give than receive. And that seems like a weird paradox, and it seems like it shouldn't be true, because we like getting gifts, amen? But this idea of giving has a way of helping you get something beyond what you could ever just attain by someone giving you a gift. There's something about it. It's why when people give, like when people show up and say, hey, second Saturdays, I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna help feed people in Midtown Tucson. I'm gonna be a part of an E-team. I'm gonna be a coach on a soccer team. I'm gonna be a person who's volunteering in areas around that your kids are in. When you do that, as a believer, you're actually serving. And this fascinating thing in Matthew 25, Jesus is saying is when you do this for the least of these, you're actually doing it for me. It's this incredible, profound mystery that as we serve, we're actually serving Christ. So you make service a lifestyle. What Paul's really kind of getting at here, can I just read it one more time? Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, he's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds uh, on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In essence, what he's kind of saying, I was trying to think of a, a, an illustration to give you. <clears throat> in a lot of ways, um, 
I don't know if this is an adequate illustration or not, but think of it this way. You have one purpose as a, as a Christian, as a person who's following Jesus, here's the reality. You have a one purpose and you have two passports, okay? You have a purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God, to worship him, to love God and love people. That's your purpose. That's kind of like your mission statement of your life as a follower of Jesus. It isn't anything else. It's that. That's your job. That's your role. That's your calling uh, to worship God, to, to glorify him, to love him and love people. Jesus summed it up that way. You're a person with a purpose. You're also a person with two passports, okay? I've got a passport, how many of you have a passport? Here's the reality of a passport. You can't leave the country without it, right? You have to go somewhere. I have a passport that's allowed me to go different places, you can see the stamps, oh, they're kind of sweet. Um, and this passport allows you access. And what, what Paul is saying here is you have two passports. In one way, you have a passport for earth because you're a human and you're living still. Check your pulse. You're good, right? So you have a passport for here. It's for the here and now, right now, where God can use you. But as a follower of Jesus, you've also been given another passport. And it's a passport that's gonna get you home to heaven. And you need to have it. And the passport's called Jesus. And he's got you. You're hidden in him. You've been stamped by him. Uh, Paul talks about that. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That he's your deposit guaranteeing you the passport entrance into heaven. You have it. And as you have that, here's the deal. You can live with one passport perspective or you can live with a dual passport perspective. That is kind of what Paul is saying. People who settle for a one passport perspective, well, all they have is this. This earthly realm, this world, and the voices of it, and the culture, and how it tries to conform you, and, and that can get you a long way, and if you have money, it may feel pretty good. But if you don't, then you may struggle with that. Or you can be a person who lives with a dual passport. that says, okay, you have this, and there's some good things here, and you can enjoy it, but you have this, and it's so much better. And it's waiting for you, but you're actually kind of somewhat even there in your perspective because you're hidden in Christ, but it's a guarantee for what is to come. With all the authority and all the power of what Jesus has already given you. You dwell here on earth, but your home is in heaven. In reality, what the scriptures would say is you're just passing through here. So live in a tent. Don't build a giant mansion because you're just passing through here. You're on your way home. That doesn't mean you can't have a big house. I hope you do and invite me over. Um, but it's this idea that don't get caught up in the competitiveness between what the world wants for you and what Jesus wants for you. Paul's saying, look, I want you to set your mind, set your heart on things above. Don't settle just for the things here. You need to be a person who sets your mind above, meaning that you regard people as valuable. All people matter because God creates life. And so we are to respect and to breathe dignity into the people around us. We build up people, we don't tear them down. That's a heavenly perspective. We regard money and resources as a means to do God's will, not merely to accumulate things for ourselves and our own pleasures. We don't set our hearts on clothes and cars and entertainment as the end-all pursuit. You can have some of that stuff, enjoy it. But it's not the end-all. 
There's a greater kingdom mission going on, and we're to seek and advance God's movement of hope in this world because it's a movement that caught you and invited you in. And it's a movement that he wants to keep catching other people in. We're to invest our talents and our time, our interests and our passions for eternal things, not just temporal things. Because everything here has a shelf life. You're not gonna take it with you. But the things you can invest into, the relationships you can build, the things you can invest into in God's movement, those are the things that have ripple effects through eternity. And so make sure you're living that way. We stay linked up, I think, with a body of believers who's trying to live this out. We're not a perfect church. I'd be the first to tell you that. But I hope and I believe, I really do believe, that we're a fairly healthy church who's trying to live out what Jesus taught the best we know how in the moment we're in, in the city in which we love, to live this out. Here's what I wrote as some bottom line thoughts. Again, what captures your attention will capture your heart. And where your attention goes, your devotion will grow. And Paul's saying, set your mind, set your hearts on things above. Let your, your attention go there. It's gonna take some work. It's gonna take some concentration. It's gonna take some of your focus. It's not something that's just gonna come naturally. You gotta be intentional about it. You gotta stay focused. But as you set your heart and your mind on things above, because you've been resurrected with Christ. You're hidden in Christ. That's the perspective you can live from. And as you do that, you'll begin to have leverage and influence to the people around you. And so here's the question I have for you tonight as we move toward a time of worship and time of communion. Um, We do this every week. We offer a space and a time for communion. If you are here as a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to participate in this idea of of taking uh, a part of this cracker that resembles his body, represents his body, that was broken for you, this juice that was his blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you just wanna sit there and think, what does it mean to be a person that sets your mind and and your heart on things above? Here's the last illustration I'll give you. If you've ever played PlayStation or Xbox, my favorite button is the reset button because I stink at games, okay? And when I play my son in these games, like he just, we play, it's just, it's horrible. It's so sad. But my favorite joy is hitting the reset button in the middle of the game Um, because when I know he's winning, I can just hit the reset button and we start over. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And he gets frustrated and I think it's funny. Um, But... In essence, here's what Paul's saying. How you set your mind and your hearts on things above is gonna take constant resetting because you're already living in a world that's competing for your attention and your focus and the desire of your heart. So how you reset, that's really what he's saying. You set your mind, you reset your mind and your heart on things above. And so maybe it's this week saying, what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to kind of set your mind and your heart on things above? Where have you been drifting in life? Where, what has captured your attention? Because what captures your attention will capture your heart. So where's your heart been going? And is it something that is just of this world? Or is it something from above? Is it something that God desires for you? And if it isn't, then this is a perfect week to hit reset. And go, okay, God, here we go. 
And, and as you go throughout this week, that's this perfect opportunity. That's the beauty of the grace of Jesus. This is why we can come to a table. Because we remember that it's his grace that lets us hit reset every time. That I don't have to stay stuck. I don't have to stay losing the game. I can hit reset and I can start over with him. That's the beauty of what Paul is saying. And so Father, I pray tonight, maybe this week, would be a week where each one of us individually in our own hearts and our own lives would be people that, that maybe in essence hit that spiritual reset button with you. Maybe there's ways that our heart has been drifting toward attention to things of this world that, that are nice things and they're good things, but maybe they're not the thing that you really desire our heart and our attention to be focused on. Maybe there's some things that we've been making selfish about ourselves and you want us to be people who live selflessly. And so would you maybe help some of us who are struggling with that to hit the reset button. Maybe it's things that have gotten our attention and, and distracted us away from you and we've been drifting toward that and away from you. Maybe there's some folks here tonight that need to hit the reset button to say, God, I wanna reset. I wanna get my mind and my heart focused on you, Jesus, on things above. And so would you allow these next few moments, these couple songs here, to, to be that reset for us as we go into this week and help us be a people that set our mind and our hearts on things above and live from that resurrected, godly, heavenly perspective and mindset. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.